Hey internet, I'm Simon Squibb, your host at the Good Luck Club. I believe luck is an ingredient that's necessary for a successful life. Whatever you're starting, building or shipping, I'm here to tell you, without luck, you're not going to make it. I've been testing my luck as an entrepreneur since I was 15 years old. I have had plenty of failures and successes, and I'm fascinated by the things I couldn't control. The moments that made my career, and the ones that threatened to end it. In each episode, I'll invite a guest to share their stories about luck, the good and bad, and together we'll test my theory about luck's role. Mikhail, welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, I always like to start the podcast off by asking my guests, what is success to you? For me, success is living the life I want to live, you know, really loving what I do. And I think it's that, that simple. Um, I think deciding to start my own company was the best decision I ever made. Uh, and, you know, I think while the company's success, you know, will ultimately be measured by dollars and cents, my personal success is, is enjoying the journey. So it's really that simple for me. Just take us back to why you started the company. What happened? What, what, what made you want to start your own company? Well, you know, it was, it was funny. I was living in London at the time, uh, and it was on the, the tube uh, going to work, going to Canary Wharf. And I looked around and saw a lot of people in uh, navy blue and gray suits rocking back and forth on the tube. And it really struck me at that point, this is not, not the life for me. You know, I, I don't want this to be me in the, in the future. And it was really at that point, I think I got the bug in my head that I wanted to do my own thing and, and start a company. Uh, but it was really, I mean, I'll, I'll say it, I'm sure multiple times, it was really about freedom, uh, just wanting to be free. Did, did, did you work for someone else before you started your own company? I did. I was at E-Trade for, uh, for 10 years. Wow. And I looked after E-Trade's international business. Um, so really, at the peak, we were in about 15 different geographies across uh, Canada, Europe, the Middle East, and Asia Pacific. And before I started my own company, I'd actually relocated to Hong Kong and was running E-Trade's Asia business there. So pretty much been in fintech my whole, my whole career. That's quite a high-profile role. That must have been quite hard to give up that addiction. It, you know, it was. Um, and I guess looking back, um, one thing that sort of strikes me is, is I completely underestimated, you know, the opportunity cost of, of leaving a job like that and doing my own thing. Uh, you really sort of underestimate everything. You underestimate how much money you're going to need to put in your company. Uh, you underestimate that you've got, you know, children in school and those bills need to be covered somehow. Um, so it was it was a difficult transition. Um, but, uh, yeah, my, my co-founder said it best. You know, he said, the only thing I regret by, by leaving the company is now I've got to turn right when I get on an airplane instead of left. <laughs> and I think that's, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Well, if anyone doesn't know... Uh... What Mikhail means, you've, you've got to go into economy instead of business class. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but only, only hopefully for the first 20 years of the business. Hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> that, that's the dream. It's interesting you say underestimated, uh, underestimated kind of what was involved of leaving your, your, business, your job, I guess, and, and going and working for yourself. Do you think that was a blessing, though? I mean, if you actually calculated it all, perhaps you wouldn't have done it. That's right. I mean, I, I, think, I think many entrepreneurs would say that. If, if you sort of saw everything in, in hindsight and how difficult it is and had that knowledge at the beginning, I think you're right. You know, maybe you don't take that step and do it. So 
uh, I think I think having a little bit of, of ignorance uh, is important uh, in order to take the step. Um, because, you know, I tell people all the time, uh, you know, nine out of 10 days are, are difficult, uh, really hard. Um, but it's that one day where things are going right, that one day where a feature works and it just makes up for the, the other nine days that were difficult. So, you know, once you take the step, um, you take a lot of punches, but you keep going. But yeah, it's, uh, it's not an easy thing. How old were you when you quit your job and started eight securities? I was, um, I was 34, 34 years old. So not, not young. Um, I guess not old either, but, um, yeah, I think, I think it was a, a good age. Um, and I think specifically for the, the sector that I'm in, you know, being in financial technology, I just cannot imagine someone taking that step without having experience, um, or without having quite a few years of, of experience. Mm. Um, you know, raising the, the money, the, the regulators, the, the compliance, be really difficult to do without um, having done it uh, working for someone else, I think. So I'm grateful I had that time at, at E-Trade. Uh, I learned a lot. Um, but um, yeah, it was time to go. So I'm going to find out your age now by asking how long ago did you start Eight Securities? Uh, I started it uh, nine years ago okay. um, and launched it uh, to the public in 2012. Uh, so spent about a year working on it uh, and then got it to market about a year later no i know i know you so you know i know you as a very intelligent and logical person i'm surprised you didn't think about the opportunity cost loss that you had when leaving your job how, how come you managed to skip over that what what happened i think it was just overconfidence you know <laughs> i think that um when it came to sort of raising money i'll use that as an example because until you raise uh, venture capital, you know, it's, it's pretty much your own dime. Um, so I funded, uh, the beginning, the sort of, uh, first year of the business, my co-founder and I funded that. And I think it's just ignorance, you know, thinking that, oh, this is, you know, my, my idea is great. My idea is brilliant. I'm going to be able to raise money without any problem. And then, you know, one month goes by two, three, four, seven, and you're still funding your business. So I think, I think a large part is just being completely ignorant to how difficult it is to raise money um, and how long it would take. Yeah, I, I often speak to people that are in their 40s that don't like their jobs and would like to start something for themselves, but they've just got too logical about it all and find it hard to give up the lifestyle they built up. So I think, you know, 34 is an interesting age. You're on the cusp there. I've, most people I know, you know, you're 10 years into your career at that point. You're pretty successful. And in the background now, my coffee machine's going off. So this is the beautiful thing about doing podcasts at home. Um, but no, I mean, you, you, at that point, you, you, you know, you, 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 it's not easy, is it? You're 10 years in, you've, you've probably got a big future ahead of you within the company or certainly any company would have you at that point. I mean, giving all that up is so hard for people. It, apart from the ignorance piece, is there any kind of words of wisdom you can give to anybody listening out there that might want to quit why they should do it? Yeah, you know, I had, um, I was, I was fortunate and I'll speak to a little bit of, of luck here. Um, I spent a lot of time with, with E-Trade working in different you know, cities around the world. And I was in, in Dubai uh, and I was in Dubai when the financial crisis hit. Um, and I made the bright decision then that I was going to buy a house in, in Dubai. So I have sort of extended family that, that lives there. And I was, I was building out E-Trade's operation in the Middle East. 
and the financial crisis hit and it hit um, right as I was about to sell my my E-Trade stock. And I started with E-Trade, you know, relatively early um, and I managed to sell it right at the peak. So I think it was $28 a share. Uh, and soon thereafter, it went to about a buck fifty. So with that money, um, it gave me a bit of you know cushion and an ability to to have a little bit of uh, of a nest egg to start uh, my my company. Uh, without it, it would have been more difficult. So you know, I, I think it, it is difficult. And, and the longer you wait, there's no question, the harder it gets. And you have children, you have responsibilities. It just gets hard. Mm. I don't think age is a is a factor. You know, I feel as as good and as energetic now as I as I did you know in my twenties. Um, but it's just the, the taking that step and, and giving up the financial security you have with a view of, you know, your kid's education coming up fast. It's hard to do. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you about the age. I don't think age makes any difference. It depends on your personal energy levels and so on. I actually think the younger you do it, the better, though, because you've got more chances to make more mistakes. And, and as you get older, it gets harder. Now you have five children. So that, that's you know, a huge responsibility, isn't it? I think that I've noticed that people that have kids, it is very hard for them to start a business of their own because they've got those responsibilities. Did you have kids when you started this business? I did. I was, um, I had two, two at the time. Um, and, you know, it is, it is a big step. I think I've got an unhealthy appetite for risk, uh, for better, for worse. Um, and, and that sort of helped help nudge me to, to do this. But um, I had children at the time, um, and I should have got smart and stopped. But yes, here we are. Now I have five. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I thought you were talking about the business then. I should have got smart and stopped. You, you, mean, you mean the children? <laughs> either one. Yeah, either one. Well, you've, you've kept going with both, so congratulations on that front. But, you know, what, what do you think? I mean, you mentioned something interesting there about you know, selling the shares. I have this a belief that a lot of success comes because of luck and without luck to me it's like the secret ingredient no one really talks about but without luck you're not going to make it so you know with that kind of my own personal belief in mind what what do you think you you sold your shares at 28 bucks a share and then it dropped down to one dollar fifty a share so you know was that a lucky moment or skill that was 100 percent luck there was no skill involved uh, at all so that was certainly, you know, a lucky moment. I think, I think even sort of the timing of, of launching my company, I was a sort of fortunate and lucky time because it was, um, you know, we were one of the first companies to get, because certainly consumer fintech companies in Hong Kong to get to get licensed. And uh, you know, you look sort of a year or two later, it started to get really crowded, and I think it would have been more difficult to to get a license at that time. I think. There was also luck involved in in raising capital because at the time nobody was talking about about fintech. Um, and although the process was hard, you know, we did manage to raise raise money. And um, and again, you know, if we'd waited another year or two, it started to get really crowded and competitive. Mm. So I, I, I do think sort of, you know, there was a, a luck in terms of selling the shares, having some capital to start my company and then luck in, in the timing of starting the company. So I agree with you. I mean, I, there's a number of times in my career, um, both when I was working for someone else and, and now on my own, where there have been, been lucky moments. Uh, and I look at those and, and think, wow, if that didn't happen, you know, where would I be? What about bad luck moments? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm sort of, a, I, feel like, I feel like I create my own bad luck. So I take, I take sort of full responsibility mm. for, for the bad luck. Um, 
and and there's a lot of it you know a lot of things go wrong um you know as uh, in, in any given day you know there's there's a fire to put out something goes wrong and it would be easy to sort of call that that bad luck but i think i think i have to own it i think the team has to own it um and you just sort of persevere but um but i like those moments you know you learn it's those those experiences are the most valuable ones mm, i i agree do you see um going forward fintech continuing to be a category on its on its own or do you do you see it merging into just daily life what what do you think the future of fintech is i think i think the future of fintech we can see it with what's going on in you know in china today and this whole sort of you know concept of of super apps where i can i can hail a taxi i can split a food bill you know with my friends i can deposit uh you know my change in a wealth management product. So if you look at what 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 Alipay or Alibaba and, and Tencent are doing, you know, with, with WeChat Pay, um, really just you know wrapped around your entire life, I think that's that's the future. And I and I don't think there's a future in monoline products. I think they're going to get get consolidated, or as you see, uh, successful um, monoline products such as you know virtual banks or uh, uh, near brokers, what have you, starting to extend into other other areas. So I think it's it's full service. Mm. Now you, you managed to raise 70 million US dollars for your business. What, what's the story? How, how did you do that? And what, what were the lessons learned? Well, I'm not proud of that, actually, um, because in hindsight, uh, I question, you know, how much of that was was lost on on mistakes, on, on sort of doing the wrong thing. And, and there was a lot of those moments. So um, I wish I could say that that 70 million was, uh, was all spent, you know, efficiently and on, on growth. But the reality is, you know, it took time and there were, there were you know, mistakes we made. Uh, we got products wrong along the way. So, you know, I, I think it's, it's a big number. Um, and, and, and a large part of that is because we're a licensed business, we have to have regulatory capital uh, in the business. So it is quite difficult for a licensed company, uh, certainly in, in Hong Kong, to be um, lean. So it's not just as simple as, as building software and, and selling it. Uh, we're running a business and we have you know, capital requirements. So you know, the, I think we were fortunate to raise our, our round when we did. I'd mentioned that. Uh, and as the business grew and as we got more traction, it started to get the attention of more strategic investors. So Nomura made uh, a $25 million investment in the business a few years ago. So, you know, it's, it's sort of been this progression from, from family offices uh, to venture capital to strategic investors, uh, and, and here we are. Um, but having said that, you know, a lot of our, our competition in Europe and the U.S., well, not direct competition, but, you know, peers in, in Europe and the U.S. Have, have raised a heck of a lot more than that. If you look at sort of the, the Robin Hoods and, and wealth fronts of the world, um, you know, they've raised, um, you know, sort of 10x that. So uh, it is a big number, but I guess in our category, it's not, um, it's not completely ridiculous. And the process of actually raising the money, if anyone out there that's, that wants to learn a little bit about that, that's got a business and want to raise money, any, any insights? Yeah, I think it's, you know, first and foremost, it's um, you have to be persistent. And, and what I tell people all the time is expect, you know, nine of your, your 10 investor meetings to result in a no. And the investor will never tell you no. They'll tell you, you know, come back when you have more traction or they'll say maybe, uh, they'll, they, you know, they'll leave the door open and it makes sense for them to do that. 
but you have to have thick skin. And, and nine out of 10 of those meetings are going to result uh, without any investment being raised. But I advised, you know, every entrepreneur take every single meeting. Uh, and my co-founder and I know now within a matter of minutes whether an, an investor is serious or not. But you take every single meeting because you learn something from every meeting. Uh, and then you hope that, that that meeting can result in another introduction or two. So, you know, it, it's not easy. Uh, have thick skin. You have to persevere. Uh, but if you've got a good product uh, and, and you believe in it and you show that investor that you believe in it, uh, sooner or later, someone's going to invest. And when you get that first investor, it's incredible how much easier it is to raise subsequent investment. Getting the first one is the hardest. But once you get that, it's much easier. So in our case, you know, it took seven, eight months, I think, to get our first investor in. But once we did, um, you know, no one wanted to make the first move. But when someone did, you know, we closed the rest of the round in, in a matter of weeks. So, you know, getting that first investor is hard. But once you have it, it, it gets easier. Getting Namor on board. I mean, Namor is an interesting one because they bought, they bought up Lehman Brothers, basically, when Lehman Brothers collapsed, right? They did. And so Namor yeah, is a fascinating company that I think a lot of people in the West, and of course a lot of my audience are from the UK and the US, they might not even know Namor um, and realize that they bought up Lehman Brothers, but they invested 25 million US in you. What was that process like? Um, so I spent I spent five years in, in Japan um, of this sort of you know nine-year process so far. I spent about half of it in working in Tokyo and building out our, our Tokyo business. Um, so I was sort of on the front line uh, working on that, that Nomura transaction. And I think by Japanese standards and even by Nomura standards, it was lightning fast. You know, the process, I think, from beginning to end took about eight months. Um, and I think for a strategic investment and a, and a, and a, a sort of you know, investment bank at that was pretty fast. Um, you know, it was, it was smooth, um, uh, really. Um, they, I think they had a view of, of, of what they wanted, you know, from the partnership. I think it worked for us. You know, we knew in Japan and from firsthand experience, really, it was going to be really difficult to, to move the needle there uh, without a partner. Um, it's just what's done. So, so Nomura being a big name there and, and being the, the, you know, the biggest investment bank in Japan, you know, certainly helped us uh, grow the business there. So I think it was, you know, it was, it was a, the right partner at the right time. Now, we managed to get through this interview without mentioning coronavirus but I, but I have to bring it up I mean it must be a very difficult time for you you're, you're based in Hong Kong your HQ's in Hong Kong but it must be a very difficult for t time for you and your team how are you managing and, and what is the effect on your business well it's a bit it's a bit counterintuitive so we're a, we're a digital business we're a mobile only business uh, and we're in the investing space so there our reality has been fantastic from a business perspective. Um, we've seen 400% growth across, you know, all our metrics, new accounts, uh, deposits, trades, turnover uh, in Q1 versus Q4 2019. So we've had, had an enormous surge in business. At the same time, uh, on a sort of um, uh, personal level, it's been difficult because, you know, you're leading a team uh, and we had to move to sort of purely remote uh, for some time, that's easing up now. But there was a point where everybody was working remotely, uh, and in the next 12 months, you know, I suspect we'll probably do at least five billion dollars in, in transaction value for our customers, and that was being done, you know, without anybody in the office. So, on one hand, it was 
I'm glad we did it and went through this experience because it proves, you know, we can, we can work remotely and we can serve our customers remotely should this happen again. Uh, but at the same time, at a personal level, uh, from an HR perspective, it's not easy because everyone, you know, everyone in the office approach, it feels very differently about this. You have some people that are hyper-concerned uh, and sensitive about it. You have others that are sort of taking it in stride. And in any given day, you're having a conversation with multiple people. And, and, and as a leader, you know, you have to see eye to eye with them. Um, so that's been, that's been difficult. But, you know, I, I think on the bright side, the business has benefited. It's, it's done fantastic during this time. Um, but, you know, I, I know a lot of my peers and, and friends who, who may be in the B2B space or retail space or, or, or other, other areas, you know, it's been, been really difficult. Um, and I think ultimately, you know, this is going to be pretty devastating for most startups. Yeah, I mean, it's, it seems to change the landscape. I, I've been looking for some silver lining to the cloud myself, and I do see that a lot of businesses have to innovate now that perhaps weren't innovating enough before i.e. creating online experiences that are, are work and are useful but if anyone's falling behind it's the big banks so you know you're picking up where they're where they're not doing a good job if you ask me and and rightly so i mean i know in the uk for example people are complaining right now there's been 1,000 loan applications that have gone into banks in the last three weeks and they processed 1,000 of them so it's just right. just too slow and even now um, certain banks, and I won't mention their names, I don't want to get sued, are still asking people to drop off forms or post in uh, forms to the banks, which means they have to go outside to the post office or they have to go to the branch and drop it through their letterbox. I mean, it just seems ridiculous to me in this day and age that that's still a thing for banks, right? So it's um, it's it's time for change anyway on that front, isn't it? Exactly. And, you know, you, you know you've lived in Hong Kong and, and you know how important, you know, retail space uh, I'll say, sort of, you know, was to people. Um, and if we look at, you know, some of the bigger banks in, in Hong Kong that are, you know, compete in our space, most of their distribution of products was happening through branches because it's mm -hmm. convenient and there's, you know, two on every corner. Um, but, but that's changed. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think that has been, um, you know, one of the reasons that we're seeing growth today and that, that you know, people are not going to pop in the branch uh, to do this. You know, they want a, a purely digital product where they can use an e-signature and, and get, you know, get going quickly. Uh, so that really sort of lends itself to, to a business like ours. So I agree 100%. Do you think your demographic looking at your website right now is very much like 20s and 30s, um, that type of age group? Do, do you think that's going to move up or you, you see it staying that way? It just keeps getting younger, uh, Simon. I, I think the, the, the age of our customers um, sort of day to day is, is, is getting younger and younger. And, you know, I've, I've had people sort of, you know, ask, you know, over the over this sort of past couple of months, you know, if you were to start a, a business, you know, what, what would you do? What would be a, a sort of, you know, a good idea, you know, in, in this sort of this time? And and I think the, the product is a lot less important than making your business achieve three things. I think it needs to be simple, it needs to be convenient, and it needs to be affordable. And if you do those three things, you know, you, you have a chance at, at success for all the reasons you said, if we just take sort of, you know, banks, as, as a competitor and as an example, um, you're gonna you're gonna have success, and you're certainly gonna have success with with bringing in Generation Z and, and millennials. So you know our customers keep getting younger. I don't see that changing, um, and the reason for that is you know again we're a mobile only product, um, and you know we're speaking directly to them.
How do you, for anyone out there that's looking to start a business, I mean, how do you get those clients? What's, what's the marketing strategy? You know, I, the funny thing is, is, you know, we, in my, my background, you know, even when I was at, at E-Trade, uh, there was a period where I was running marketing at E-Trade and, and had a pretty substantial budget of, I think we were spending between 20 to $30 million in the international business at, at that time, you know, across uh, multiple geographies. And while marketing is important, there's no substitute to word of mouth. Um, I, I think we get more accounts through word of mouth uh, than we do advertising, and, and we certainly advertise. So I think, um, and, and how do you get word of mouth? You have to have, you know, you have to good, have a good product, um, and you have to have customers that love your product. And so, you know, I think one has to put as much emphasis on the user experience, making that as strong as possible. That's going to generate word of mouth. Uh, that's where your business is going to come from, and that's like a snowball effect. Whereas advertising, you can do it, but, you know, it has its limitations. So I, I wish I could say there's a magic formula, but just build a really good product, build a really great user experience, and customers will come. What do you think of the lean startup model, that MVP idea? Or do you think, because a lot of people are fearful to build a product that's inferior, put it into the market, and have a bad reputation, so they wait until the product's perfect, which can take a year. You worked in your business for a year before you launched it, for example. Which, which way around is the right way around? Um, I think I think it's a balance. So uh, sort of taking my own business as an example, our first product launch was uh, a complete failure. Uh, you know, we had a view of what we thought customers wanted. And this was back sort of Web 2.0 timeline. And the concept at the time was a uh, web application where people could build their own trading interface. It could be as simple or as complicated as they want. They had sort of total control. We had a, at an app store, they could drop widgets into their interface and build it out. And in hindsight, what I, I would have done was made it simple from the very beginning. Um, I think we just built a product that, that required too much thinking and was overcomplicating what people ultimately wanted. So in hindsight, you know, I, I wish we'd done more research. I wish we'd done more um, validation of the product before we launched it. Uh, but at the same same time, you know, no one had done what we were trying to do. And I don't think we would have come to those answers without trying it. So I think it's a balance. I think for those that are in fintech, you know, it's it's lean startup is difficult. It's a difficult model, especially when you're in consumer again, because you have to have capital. You have to have regulatory capital uh, before you can even get a product in a customer's hand. So for us, it was a balance. You know, we made our mistakes with some of the earlier products and the business really didn't start taking off. We didn't get really good trajectory until we went mobile only. Um, but, uh, but you know, it's, it, it was a learning experience and, and, you know, you make mistakes and that's how you evolve. I think that's good advice. Well, look, um, the podcast is coming to an end. I always like to keep this short so people do have time to listen to your wise words. But I have one last question for you, which is if you went back to your younger self and gave some advice, what would you do? And I know you have a 14-year-old, so it'd be interesting to know what advice you give him about the future and what he should do and so on. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a good question. I think that um, the one thing that I've, I've learned throughout this process of you know, we talked about the money that the company raised, and you know, we have a great team. We have a lot of a lot of assets, but the one asset that proved the most valuable to us was constraints. Funny enough, so it was at those times where 
we were running out of out of runway and you know we were in the process of raising a round uh or you know the sort of multiple times has happened to the life of the company but it was in that moment of constraint where we did our best work it was in that moment of constraint where we abandoned desktop and went mobile only it wasn't because you know, we, we, we thought mobile only was, was the solution, but there was a constraint that we have limited resources. How are we going to deploy them? Okay, we need to focus entirely on mobile. And that lends itself to, to, you know, to, to sort of success. And so I think you know, my, my advice is don't fear constraint. And I think it's timely advice because I think a lot of entrepreneurs right now are facing this. You got to make really, really tough decisions. You have to make tough choices that may be dropping peripheral products and focusing on your core. It may mean, you know, cutting costs. It may mean layoffs. Uh, but you have to make those difficult choices or you may not have a business at the end of the day. But don't fear that constraint because I think your business has a great chance of coming out, you know, the other end much stronger than than it is today. So uh, I think that's my, my main point of advice is, you know, embrace constraint. Mm. Well, I think that's that's fantastic advice, and I totally agree. I often say to people that you know, starting a business with no money is is better than starting a business with lots of money. You, you you're more inventive often if you don't have the money. So I think you know, that's my version of what you've just said, and I totally agree. So I'm going to sum up what you've said, what I've taken from from this uh, podcast today. So it's basically, I love the idea that. Working for yourself gives you freedom. I want people to remember that. Somehow it makes me think of the Braveheart movie with Mel Gism shouting freedom. You know, it's absolutely true. I think making a, a new business today simple, convenient, affordable is a winning formula, is great advice. Sounds like the title of your book. You should definitely write that. I totally agree. Simple, convenient, affordable. And then go mobile. I think a lot of people overlook it. They go desktop, but going mobile as quickly as you can is a good bit of advice. And constraint is good might be the replacement for greed is good i i like it a lot so thank you so much for giving up your time i know you broke your nose and you still come on to my podcast show so i'm really grateful <laughs> you can't tell your voice sounds great but thank you so much for your time today it's it's my my pleasure and i think if there's there's one other lesson it's don't have five children and start a company <laughs> well um, a lot of people are going to make that mistake point. regardless but uh, good advice all the same <laughs> thank you, oh, thank it, you. Was, it was a pleasure thank you for having me thank you so much Thank you for listening to the Good Luck Club podcast. We know you have thousands of podcasts you could be listening to and you've chosen us. We, of course, feel lucky. If you want to hear more, please go to thegoodluckpod.com or go to any of our social media pages and share with us your views, your insights and any way that we can improve what we're doing to make it a better experience for you. We wish you the best of luck.